What a perfect story. Pharaoh makes chaos, mother makes ark. Princess finds baby, sister, broker's deal. Baby saved, Pharaoh foiled. A perfect story. And great roles for girls, I might add. Not quite the Bible meets Frozen, but almost. <laughs> so before we get into it, I want you to notice two things. The first is that the main characters are young people and their parents aren't around. That's important because this is a story about what happens when the young people are in charge. The second thing to notice is that without this story, without these two girls in the reeds, there is no Moses. There is no exodus. There is no liberation for the people of God, and there won't be until the parents get off the stage and the young people set things in motion. So you've got your two stock roles for girls here, beautiful princess, responsible big sister. You can pick either one. They're both good parts, even you Guys out there listening, just use your imagination. You can be Pharaoh's daughter, clad in silks, dipping your lovely toes in the cool green water. Or you can be Moses' sister, alone in the reeds, keeping watch over your basket by day and night. You can be the powerful princess or the smart and resourceful big sister. Like I said, you can't lose. They are both strong characters. And while the text doesn't tell us exactly how old they were, whether they were 20-somethings or teenagers or even younger, what it does tell us is that each of them had an inner radical just waiting to be unleashed. Each of them was ready to set aside what she should do and work together on what they might do, which is what happens when you're down in the reeds. I want to walk through some of the story with you. It's familiar, but you know how scripture is. You hear it differently over time. So let's read it this morning the way the girls in the story lived it, as if the parents aren't around which is an interesting interpretive lens, come to think of it. Read as if your parents weren't watching. A lot of people my age could stand to do that. So you know the context. We are in Egypt, a world superpower in those days, and the Hebrews are the Egyptian slaves. But the Hebrew population is growing. It's big enough to make Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, feel threatened and worried that soon these people will be as populous, numerous as his own. You're going to go downtown, and you'll hear Hebrew as much as you hear Egyptian. So Pharaoh comes up with a highly effective and unspeakably evil plan to control them. He targets the boys. Every Hebrew boy baby that is born Pharaoh orders his Egyptian citizens, every one of them, every Hebrew boy is to be exterminated on sight. Pitch them 
in the Nile. Pharaoh knows, target the boys, and eventually you will destroy the whole population. And Moses, of course, was a boy. And so his mother did what she could. She hid him for a while, but babies grow. And when she could not hide him anymore, we read in verse 3 of the second chapter, Moses' mother, this daughter of Levi, does a priestly act. She takes a bunch of papyrus, loams it with the ancient equivalent of Kevlar, and makes a snug little ark for her three-month-old son. It's a brilliant act, a symbolic act, designed to save life as well as to bear witness. And it's heartbreakingly limited. A Kevlar arc can't save a child for long. He has one day, maybe two, before he will die of exposure. One day, maybe two, to live. But anyone who finds him will get the mother's message loud and clear. This is what we have come to in Egypt. Take a look. Kevlar cradles. It's all I could do for my child. All I could give him was one more day. And with that, the mother leaves the scene. Maybe she was like Hagar, who couldn't bear to watch baby Ishmael die in the desert. We don't know. But we do know that it's the sister who takes over from here. That's what big sisters do. They watch when the parents leave. They report back. It may not be what they choose to do, but it's their job as part of the family. It was this sister's job. Stand at a distance and see what happens to your brother. Be the girl in the reeds and then come home. Verse 5, enter Pharaoh's daughter. She had a different agenda. She came down to the river to take a bath. She came down to get away from it all, the court, the publicity, the pressure, the pedestal. Being beautiful is a tough job, but that's what princesses are. Everything we dream we could be. It's their job as part of the family. It was this princess's job. Take your maids, go to the river, anoint that lovely skin because we need you to look good this afternoon. Be the girl in the reeds and then come home. So here they are, two girls in the reeds, two girls who know what they're supposed to do, hide and watch, bathe and dress, do as you're told, and come home. And they might have done it and never even met one another, but you know the reeds are a watery, slippery, in-between sort of place. It's muddy and murky and hard to find your footing, and who knows where the deep water starts. Anything can happen down in the reeds to upset your balance. And on this day, something did. You know what it was. The princess found the baby. The Egyptian princess found the Hebrew baby. You know what she was supposed to do with it. 
So did she. So did the sister. And now what? What do you do with a baby in a basket when you're down in the reeds at the river's edge and the parents, your parents, are nowhere to be found? The princess knew what her father would have done, or at least what his law decreed. If this was a Hebrew male child, and it was, she was supposed to tip over the basket and let that baby tumble into the water. At the very least, she was supposed to close the lid, give the ark a little push, send it down the river for someone else to deal with. That's what the law required, like it or not, and she was supposed to uphold it. The sister knew what her mother would have wanted if someone found the baby, even if that someone was an Egyptian. The sister was supposed to keep watching as awful as things might get. She was supposed to stay in her hiding place so she wasn't seen and she wasn't caught and then report to her mother all that had happened. That's what times like these required, like it or not. And she was supposed to just try and survive. Two girls in the reeds with a little body between them. They knew what their parents would have wanted. And you know what? They didn't do it. They couldn't. Things look different when you're down in the reeds. You have to think for yourself, look for yourself, tell it like you see it, which is what the princess did. This, she said, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. Sometimes the truth is the most radical thing you can say. Just to name it, what you see right in front of you, that, babe, that body left for hours in the street, that baby left to die in a basket. Just telling the truth is huge, huge. Saying it out loud, letting it reverberate in the air. This must be one of the Hebrews' children because no other mothers are reduced to this, making little arcs to float in the Nile, trying to save their babies from a flood of hate. One truth calls forth another, especially when you're in the reeds. One girl stammering out the truth about what she sees invites another girl to speak up too. One girl pausing over unspeakable evil invites another one to stand with her. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, said the princess. And then the sister got an idea. Do you want me to find a nurse among the Hebrew women? She asked, stepping out from her hiding place. Do you want me to find someone to nurse that child for you? And just like that, they had a plan. A plan to save one life no matter what their parents thought of it. And it was about the craziest plan you could think of to take baby Moses back to his Hebrew mother for a few years and tell everyone it was just fine because it was on Pharaoh's daughter's orders. Really, really. But they did it. And they got away with it. 
And when Moses was three years old, the princess actually adopted him. She took him into the palace and raised him there with her father down the hall. And Lord only knows what he thought about this whole arrangement. Little Moses sitting in his booster seat at the royal table, riding his Toys R Us chariot through the throne room. Scripture never says a word about that. But as we said, this is not a story about the parents and doing what they told you. Even if your dad is the Pharaoh, this is a story about the young people doing whatever crazy thing they can dream up together to get the bodies out of the reeds. So now I'm wondering about you, all of us. I'm wondering where you are as we get ready for fall, holding our breath about so many things. We have been and we are in the reeds, y'all muddy, slippery, in-between places that can't sustain life. And what's a person to do in such a place? I think this story has some things to say about that. And what happens then if we bring these two girls in, in the reeds to the streets of Asheville where we are and ask them to show us some new ways to be? What would they say? Maybe one of the first things they would say is what we've been picking up on all through this story. We don't have to read the world the way our parents read it. There will come a day when we're down in the reeds and our parents aren't there and we have to step up and decide for ourselves what we are going to do about this situation, this interruption, this baby in a basket, this body right here that matters. And if the way we've been taught to read the world tells us that it doesn't matter, that we can turn and walk away, then something has to change and it's up to us. And maybe the second thing these girls would tell us is if you're down in the reeds and you don't know what to do next, start by telling the truth about what you see. Sometimes that's the most radical thing we can do, just to tell the truth about that body in front of us, even if that body is not of your faith or race or country of origin, maybe especially then. This is one of the Hebrews' children, Pharaoh's daughter said. This is not an Egyptian. This is one of the Hebrews' children. Say it. Say it out loud because one truth calls forth another, and you never know who may be listening. You never know who may be waiting for a reason to come out from their hiding place to stand with you and make a plan to save one life. And maybe the third thing they'd say, these two girls, is that this is how liberation starts. God's liberating work starts down in the reeds with an interruption we didn't expect and a body we have to acknowledge. God's liberation of a people can start with two girls and one really crazy idea. That's it.
That is all you need because whenever the children of God claim the freedom to reimagine and remix the world, well, then Moses can grow up. The exodus out of slavery can begin. And I tell you what, we all need to leave Egypt. It's the next chapter of a perfect story. Maybe you'll write it. Amen.